Please take your Bibles and open them up to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to be looking primarily at verses 24 to the end of the chapter, finally coming to the interpretation of the words that were written on the, the wall for all to see. We've been working our way slowly through Daniel, Daniel's book, but Daniel chapter 5 at the end of last year. Daniel 5 comes and it leads us to contemplate the, the judgment of God. His judgment on Belshazzar, his judgment on Babel. And most of us can, can think back to a times in our life in which we were treated unjustly, unfairly. We wish there had been rendered to us a better judgment, a more fair judgment. Sure, we can think of serious times, and there are less serious times. I remember when I was in high school, I had a teacher, a high school English teacher that I didn't particularly like. She had her favorite student, and everyone else did not really matter. And I'll never forget one English class as she is giving an assignment. We had been asking her some questions. She was exhausted, exasperated with the class. And so she finally said, next person that asks me a question uh, will get a detention. So of course, we all silence, stop speaking and go silent to just begin to work on the assignment as best we can. And a few minutes later, her favorite student, Becky, raises her hand if I wasn't friends with Becky, I would hate Becky. Becky was the straight-A student. Becky did everything right. And Becky raises her hand and asks the teacher, I have a question. And the teacher says, come up to me. I can help you at my desk. So Becky goes up. We all take note. Becky's good. A few minutes later, I raise my hand. I got a detention. Oh, Becky, I'm not bitter at all, not bitter in the slightest. The reality is that we are surrounded in our lives with being treated unfairly. Things that are done wrong in the world. We long for justice. We long for right judgment. We long for things to be set right. You think of globally what's going on in the world and we only know the smallest fraction of it. We don't know what happens behind closed doors. We don't know what real agreements are being made. We don't really know what's happening except what gets reported. But the Lord knows. He sees. And we see all around the world what is wrong seems to get a pass. And what is right and those doing right often find themselves on the short end of the stick. And it's not just nationally, politically, it's personal. Some of us look back on times of our lives when we were severely mistreated, and we can look, look up someone that has hurt us and find that they are successful. Perhaps it was a family member, a friend, someone that was trusted, we trusted. We get hurt. And of course, if we believe that this life and this world is all that there is, then certainly there is no justice. In fact, it pays to be unjust. Might does equal right. Do what you want. 
as long as you can get away with it, that is the only foundation. That is the only true moral. There is no right and wrong if that's the case. There is only what you can do, what you can get away with. But our text today points us to the opposite reality. It points us to the justice and the judgment of God. Earlier we had read Genesis 11, 1 to 9. There you have the people, the humanity after the flood. They gather themselves together against the express order of God that they are to multiply and spread across the, across the face of the earth. They don't. They unify. They stay in one place and they gather, we are told, in the land of Shinar on a plain and they build a tower. And why do they build a tower? For two reasons. One, they want to access the gods. They want to access God on their own terms. And secondly, they want to build this tower, build the city for their own namesake. That is, to make a name for themselves. This is the height of human pride and human arrogance. This is all happening, and God comes down, he judges them. It is called Babel. And this idea, this, this place, Babel, in the land of Shinar, this idea gets picked up, this human arrogance being judged by God this wrongdoing being judged by God, it gets picked up and it gets carried through all the way through the, through the scriptures. This idea of Babel becoming the, the preeminent picture of human arrogance and rebellion against God. And so we have, Daniel has already made that connection. In Daniel chapter 1, he has made it clear he is now in the land of Shinar. Babylon. He is trying to make this connection for us. And Daniel has lived for almost 70 years now in the land of Babylon. He has lived as an exile. He has lived as a stranger to the world. He has lived against the world and the world against him. Even as God has seen fit to bless him many times, he still finds himself living in a strange world that opposes him and opposes his God. And earlier, a few weeks ago, we saw Belshazzar throwing a party. We were able to ascertain the date of this historical sources, point us to when this party takes place, October 12th, 539 B.C. We had, the historical circumstances are, are fairly clear. Persia, the Mede and Persian army had come, it had conquered the Babylonian army and its king at the time. That king runs defeated to a nearby fortified city and makes a further escape. But Belshazzar, who is the son of the king, kind of co-regent, and he has made his reign over the city of Babylon... He is throwing himself a party. And not just himself, but, but the city of Babylon itself. Because Babylon, for almost a thousand years, has gone unconquered, undefeated. Its walls are considered impenetrable. Its resources are rich. Food enough for the survival of the city for years. An endless supply of water coming through. They are safe. They are secure. Nothing can harm them. And so at the beginning of the chapter, we read that Belshazzar, in a state of arrogant defiance, brings out the, the furniture, brings out the cups that had been used to, in the worship of God back in Jerusalem. He brings them out, and with his hand on the grip of those cups, 
He toasts to his gods. Toast to them as if, hey, we have defeated all these other gods. Therefore, the gods and the Medes and the Persians, they are no threat to us. And it is then that he sees the writing on the wall. And he calls all of his spiritual IT help desk people to come, give him an aid, and they come. They try to provide an interpretation, and they fail. And so he hears and remembers Daniel, calls Daniel, makes him great promises. Daniel comes. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Daniel's warnings that he had given him. In verses 16 to 23. Why don't you follow along and read? We'll read Daniel's warnings and then we'll come to the interpretation. Verse 16, Daniel, uh, Belshazzar tells Daniel, and I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because, all of, because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. When his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the, wild, like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with, the grass, with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you... His son Belshazzar have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified." Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel and parson. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we come to study the word of God? Father in heaven, this is indeed your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would give us eyes to see that we may have hearts that rejoice not only in what you say here, but in you that we may know you, that we may fear you, that we may walk in your paths, that we may be glad in you, O Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Savior. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Many, many tekel upharsen in the New King James, or if you're using another translation, it's many, many tekel and parson. There's three words, two, one of which is repeated twice, several things that are pointing to now the judgment of God, the justice of God. And the first is we see, verse 26 and 27, that this is justice that you can count on. Justice that is certain. You see this, 
26, this is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. It is the days that God had numbered for Belshazzar's life and reign have come to an end. Belshazzar's time had finally expired. It highlights the immediate, the the fact that it's doubled up, the fact that he repeats this word twice implies or emphasizes two things. The first is that it highlights the fact that this is certainly going to come to pass. That is, it's, it is finished. It is finished. It is doubly so. This is a certainty. There is no doubt about it. The judgment and justice are coming. And the fact that it's repeated twice often also gives us the understanding, as Daniel says here, that it is finished. It is going to be immediate. This is not a delayed prophecy about something that will happen in a year or two or ten or twenty. This is going to happen immediately. In the overall context of our story and history, historical sources tell us that it is indeed immediate. The idea at the heart of this declaration is that all powers... All people are in the hand of God. He rules over them all. He rules over us all. Our days are numbered, and he is the one who has numbered them. There is an expiration date that God himself has set. And he has set an expiration date for every person. Every nation, every king, every president, Every senator, every congressman, every Supreme Court justice, every organization, every power. In Deuteronomy 32, 39, God himself says this, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Belshazzar in Babylon most certainly felt secure. No one could touch them. No one could penetrate their walls. No one could enter into the city unbidden, unallowed. They were unconquerable, undefeatable. And yet, God's justice is justice you can count on. It is certain Belshazzar may have felt untouchable, may have seemed and appeared untouchable. In fact, these words are written in the very party celebrating his power and his certainty that he's okay. He was young, he was healthy, he was wealthy, he was in power, he was safe and secure. So certain of his future that he throws a massive party to celebrate it in defiance of God. And yet... He is anything but. You know, if we only listen to, only listen and read the news that we can find through whatever trusted sources we may have, we we may wonder if there can ever be justice, if there will ever be right judgment. When, when will what is done, when will what is right be what is Those people who are dishonest, those people who do what is wrong, the people who hurt others to advance themselves, 
it can feel like they just get away with it again and again. You feel this not only politically, you probably feel this like this at work sometimes. The person who does what they're not supposed to do, they, they seem to get more and more promoted. The certainty of God's justice on Belshazzar is a reminder that God's justice is certain. It is justice you and I can count on. More than this, we understand that this justice is just. God's justice is just. In front of the Supreme Court of our country in Washington, D.C., there are these ornate lampposts. On the base of those lampposts, heavily decorated marble bases, and on one side of those uh, posts, you will find a depiction of, of Lady Justice. There are several depictions around and inside the Supreme Court of her, and you will find depictions of Lady Justice around our country, often around courthouses. But there, the familiar depiction of Lady Justice is that she is blindfolded, and in one hand she has a sword depicting the judgment, and the other hand a picture of, uh, of scales that she is often holding. It is to show us and to depict a, an ideal that justice is to be blind and impartial, that it is to be just. It weighs a person out on the scales despite whatever they may have, whatever kind of person or standing they may, they may have, justice will be done. But think of how often justice falls short of being just. People have the right, if you have the right connections or power or money, you can leverage all of that to short-circuit justice. You know, two people can do the same thing, but because one of them has power or wealth or the right connections, one of them does little to no time and the other one does much. We call this a double standard. It, it happens all the time in our world. It frustrates us. Too often money or power, accomplishment, connections, all of these influence justice in our day. And it turns out that what is just isn't so just after all. But Daniel here in the very verse, in verse 27, he interprets this second word, tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. God had weighed Belshazzar. He had evaluated Belshazzar and he came up short. This is true despite Belshazzar being the man in charge, the man with all the power, the man with the greatest wealth, the man with the greatest connections and all the accomplishment. He has everything. But you have been weighed in the balances. You've been weighed and measured and found wanting. Think of that just for a moment. Belshazzar standing before God, God sees him, and he sees him for what he is, and he judges him for it. This is so rare in our day. We read early in the Bible that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And we wish that we could judge based on those things. One of the best examples of this in the Bible, I think, is 
a man, a king of northern Israel. You probably may have read his name, but you don't remember him at all. King Omri. Because in the pages of scripture, he plays almost no significance. He is mentioned only a handful of times, primarily in 1 Kings 16, and never again. He reigns for about 12 years. We know from historical sources that he builds many things, that he, uh, that, that, Northern Israel under his reign, the economy flourished. That northern Israel under his reign did many successful things. He was powerful, not only politically, but his military. He conquered and did many enormously significant things. By every human measurement, he was successful. He was important. He was impressive. And yet listen to how he is described we're told in verse 24, 1 Kings 16, he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. He fortified the hill. He called the name of the city that he built there, Samaria, after the name Shemer, the owner of the hill. That's the description of his entire reign. And then we have the evaluation, verse 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. That's the evaluation. When historians, the people in Omri's day looked at him, they thought he was impressive. He was the guy on Instagram who had all the followers. He was a person on YouTube who had millions and millions and millions of views. This is a guy on Cable News Network who was always prime time. He was the talking head that everybody listened to. He was a politician that everyone gave their money to, that everyone looked at, respected, and followed. And God looked at him, and he wasn't impressed. What we see is that God's justice is just. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. In Genesis, when Abraham asks the question, will not the God of all the earth do what is right? The answer is yes. Justice is certain. And it is always just. More than this, for justice to be just, it must be complete. It must be perfect. That's the, the idea of the next line, verse 28. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The word Perez here means to divide. It is a picture of the complete end, not only of Belshazzar's life, but of the, the nation, the empire of Babylon. That it is going to come to a complete end. That at the beginning of this morning on October 12th, everything is fine. Babylon is the mightiest nation in the world. But by the evening and the end, the morning of the next day, it ceases to exist for all intents and purposes. The picture of God's judgment is that it is total. It is complete. It is perfect. Think about how rare that is in our day. Our human systems of judgment, they are not able to get perfect justice. The closest thing we can get to justice is proximate justice. We hope to get close to it, but we can't get justice, not true justice. I mean, how do you weigh the life of someone who has been killed in, in years in prison? How do you weigh harm that has been done to one or many individuals with, with time? 
How do you weigh intentions and motives and knowledge and planning and all of that? We don't have access to that. Human justice, perfect justice, is beyond what we are able to achieve in this world, but it is not beyond God. Almost a century prior to this moment, God had told the prophet Habakkuk that the Chaldean Empire, the Babylonian Empire, would certainly meet his judgment. And at this moment, it is. God's justice is certain, it is just, and it is perfect. And then we read in verse 29, we see that his justice, it can't be bought or manipulated. God's justice can't be bought or manipulated. In response to Daniel interpreting these words on the wall, Belshazzar, we read in verse 29, Belshazzar gave the command And they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. I want to suggest that that response on the surface doesn't make sense. It was typical in the ancient world that when someone delivered bad news, they were killed for it. And we've certainly seen fear on the part of those who were to deliver bad news to the kings of Babylon before. They didn't want to deliver that. They were reserved that right for Daniel or for someone else. But Belshazzar here, he, he goes ahead and he gives him everything that has promised. And it's not because Belshazzar is a good guy. It's not because he is an upstanding man who's true to his word. It, that, that's not how you and I should read this. In fact, the The idea that he gives it was confusing to some commentators. And and so we're not sure exactly why he does this. And so this is purely speculation on my part. But I think the reason he does it is because he is trying to influence the outcome of the judgment of God. Here the judgment has been given. Your, Your judgment is certain. It is coming to an end. Justice is coming. And it is coming immediately. And his hope, what he has done with the rest of his life, is if you throw enough money, if you throw enough power at someone or something, they will be appeased. He has interacted not only with others like this, but this is how their ancient deities worked. My God is angry with me. I'm going to give him something. He will be appeased. Therefore, I will be treated well. It's almost like he's trying to soften the blow of God by giving and honoring his prophet. By giving his prophet wealth and power and riches and influence. See how I've treated your prophet Daniel. Won't you therefore treat me well as well? But God's justice can't be bought. It can't be manipulated. His justice is certain. We see that in verses 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slayed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Ancient historians, ancient Greek historians, Herodotus and Xenophon, they record the events of this night. They talk about a party that was built with the the armies of the Medes and Persians camped outside the city. They describe how 
unbeknownst to anyone else in the city, they had begun to dig a channel for the Euphrates River, which passed through the city of Babylon. They dug a channel and um, used that channel to empty out a significant part of the water of the Euphrates into a marsh nearby. And so the, the water level of the Euphrates River was lowered. And it was lowered just enough so that the armies of the Medes and Persians, under the cover of night, could wade into the water and pass undetected under the walls that overspanned the river. And so the armies and the walls of Babylon were pierced without ever being aware. And as these soldiers made their way through the city, the whole city being in a a mode of partying, following suit of their king and of their nobles. All of Babylon is slowly, quickly falling to the armies of the Medes and the Persians without anyone in the inner city being aware of it. To the point that, that very night, Belshazzar is assassinated and killed. And the Medes and the Persians quickly take over. The certainty of what God had declared comes about in a way that no one expects, in a way that no one could have imagined. Despite how unlikely it appeared to be, however impossible, God judged justly, just as he had said. And his justice was certain. His justice is just, it is complete, and is perfect. His justice could not be manipulated or bought. I want you to remember, Daniel is writing all of these things. He is writing it to a people who are themselves under power. They are under exile. Many of whom are still in Babylon or spread throughout the Babylonian Empire unjustly, wrongly, having been taken captive by Babylonian armies and spread abroad. He is writing it to them. He is writing it to those exiles who are returning to Israel, but yet still under the power of evil, dark forces, foreign forces. And he wants them to prepare them. He wants to prepare us to live in a world that is against us, to live in a world that is rich and rife with injustice. And hardship for those who follow the Lord. So how should you and I respond to this? Especially as we enter into a new year. The first response we must have. I think this response gives us. Is a response of hope. A response of hope. It is not, not worldly hope. Worldly hope is is what parents say at the end of one year to the next when their kids ask them, hey, do you think we can do that this year, this one thing? And parents say, I'm not sure if we can do it, but I hope so. There's this, this doubt here. Can we do this? Maybe. I hope. Let's hope so. We, we want to. Maybe we'll make some plans to, but we don't really know. That's worldly hope. There's doubt. There's uncertainty. That's not the hope that we find talked about in scripture biblical hope is not a doubtful hope biblical hope is a confident expectation it lives in certainty grounded on the promises of God on the work of God on the person of God on the goodness of God on the justice of God and so we respond to a message on the justice of God with hope 
And God is glorified in Revelation 16, 7. Because his judgments are just and true. All God's people rejoice that God is not only just himself, but he will have perfect justice. And only God can accomplish all this kind of justice. Only God who knows all things, who is able to weigh the background of an individual all the things and all the factors that have shaped to make them who they are, all their limitations, all their opportunities, all their failures, everything, and to measure it out and to give justice perfectly, justly, righteously, certainly. God will have justice. So we must live in that hope as believers. God will have justice. Justice. This was the same hope that Christ exemplified in his living and in his dying. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.23, When he, that is Christ, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The way we respond to injustice, injustice, and unfair treatment in this world shows whether we are hoping and trusting in him. Christ responds not with threats, not with reviling, not with anger. He responds with hope. He responds with faith in God. Kids, you're at home this week. And, and your sibling mistreats you, does something you don't like. And your parent comes in, and they don't always know what's going on. They just know there's lots of yelling and screaming. And so the justice comes down like a hammer, or they, they, they rebuke you. But you are the one offended, and you are also getting punished. That's injustice, right? That's unfair treatment. This isn't right. Can you trust the Lord to set things right? Men and women at work. You watch someone in your company repeatedly cut corners. Repeatedly throw other people under the bus. Maybe you have been one of those people thrown under the bus for the advance of someone else's career. What will it look like for you to respond with hope and faith in the justice of God? 2024, if you haven't heard, it's an election year. You may have picked up on that. And if you haven't, you will. Maybe you'll be frustrated with how your candidate is being treated, or the fact that your candidate isn't even a candidate anymore. You'll be frustrated that someone who shouldn't be there is. When that news report comes, and the news which has a vested interest in making you angry because they know the more angry you are, the more you're going to plug in and watch, the more you're going to pay attention, the more you're going to feed off of the angry reports that they give you. Rather than throwing the remote, rather than blowing up in anger, rather than seething in quiet impatience and hopelessness, 
What will it look like this year for you to hope in God? To know that he judges justly. Our first response has to be hope, but it's not just hope. We ought to also have horror. I mean, think about this for a moment. God is going to judge justly. It's easy for us to think about others we would like him to judge justly. But the reality is each one of us in this room deserves his justice. David writes in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Paul writes in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. You and I, we sit here this morning, we are here this morning, along with every other person who has lived and will live outside of Christ Jesus. We are sinners. We are rebels against God. We have broken his law. We deserve his justice. We, have, we are Belshazzar. Too often in our lives, we are interested in, in bumping our stats. Keeping track of who's following us, who's liking our posts more interested in what will promote us than will promote him. Friend, if God is going to judge justly, if he is going to judge perfectly, if he is going to judge certainly, do you not see that we are all in danger? Do you not see that there is no hope in and of ourselves? There is a text in the Bible that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, if that's true, so is the inverse. If God is against us, who can be for us? Who can help us? It is not our parents. It is not our our church. It is definitely not your pastor. Friends, the only hope can come from God himself, the very one we have offended. He is the one that though we have sinned against him, he has sent his own son into the world. And Christ having come, He has borne the certain, perfect, just wrath of God for sinners. Isaiah 53, 4-6 reminds us, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement, the the discipline that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hope and horror. Horror needs to give way to trust. Friend, would you look to Christ this morning? If you have trusted in Christ, and you can look back on that time in your life in which you gave your life to him, in which you submitted to him, in which you have confessed your sin, turned from it, and followed after him, praise the Lord. Do not cease to look to Christ. You will need him every day, every moment, every hour in 2024. For he bore your sin, not only in the past, but in the present and in the future. 
Every day go to him. You will bear not one iota of God's judgment, for Christ has borne it all. As we celebrate the Lord's table in a few moments, as a church, look to Christ. Rejoice in him afresh. And friend, if you have this morning, if you have never trusted in Christ, friend, let me, let me warn you. The judgment of God hangs like a sword hanging by a thread over you. And we deserve that justice to fall on us swiftly and certainly. Will you not turn and hope in Christ? Will you not see that in him is all salvation? In him is all forgiveness? In him, true justice has been paid for? Oh, come to Christ. There justice and mercy meet. Come, trust in Jesus afresh this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we readily confess what we know to be true. That your word, how, is it, how it has described us as sinners, how it describes us as those who have gone astray. And yet we marvel, O oh God, that you have sent your Son into the world, into this world. And he not only was murdered by sinful men, but he was crushed by you as a sacrifice, as a substitute for us. Oh God, humble us this morning. Give us joy this morning. Give us hope this morning. In Christ's name, amen.